1: Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
2: Hi, this is Dave at the thenewyorkbudget.com. And when I'm not breakdancing on the subway for money, I'm Stacking Benjamins.
1: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you know what this show needs? Some better social media. Hold on while I tweet about this open. Quick selfie and... Nailed it! Here's something to post to your Instagram story. Today, we're answering your letters. Plus, OG will share his thoughts on Warren Buffett's last Berkshire Hathaway letter to investors, we'll discuss tax refunds, or lack thereof, with 1-800-accountant-CEO Mike Savage, and still leave time to throw out the Haven Lifeline, and create a little dollop of trivia that you should FaceTime later to your friends. And now two guys who celebrate Wednesdays with donuts and ice cream, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G.
3: Do you ever have a uh, Hertz donut?
0: Oh! Whoa. You want one? Welcome to Bullying for the Win podcast. It's a Hertz donut. Uh, uh, uh. There actually is a place in... Uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, called Hertz Donut, like a real donut shop, and it's really cool looking, and the donuts are kind of gross. Is it
3: like a slug bug, where every time you, you just walk in and get
0: slugged in the arm every time? And, well, that's what, of course, on the way there, Cheryl's doing that over and over. Hertz Donut. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, once again, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Salci. high average Joe Money on Twitter, and today, I feel so lucky because, again, for the, what, 700 and... 30th time in a row we've got og sitting across from me
3: well it's better than feeling pretty because then i would have to make you sing the song oh so pretty do you feel pretty and witty and wise i like that
0: song regale us if you would please uh i don't think that would be good for ratings you never know until you try neither listener would enjoy that they don't 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 give up on yourself yet joe they might want to murder me if they did that
3: if i Uh if i did that i can smell what's happening
0: Not my first rodeo. Stacking Benjamins brought to you by Murder Book, a new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author Michael Connolly, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, be sure to check out Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly's latest number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. We are also supported by Airbnb. Thanks to Airbnb for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Go to Airbnb.com forward slash SB to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our listeners. Terms and conditions apply. We do not only hook people up with a true crime podcast, We also hook you up with a $100 Amazon gift card. How about that?
3: They don't call it Benjamins for nothing.
0: Bam. We got a great show. We've got your letters. We also have Mike Savage here from 1-800-ACCOUNTANTS. So let's get the party started.
2: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins
0: headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Time. Billionaire Warren Buffett encourages investors to bet on the American economy. A couple of weeks ago, the letter to shareholders from Berkshire Hathaway came out, OG. Josh Funk from the AP says this. Billionaire Warren Buffett says the company he built through decades of acquisitions continues to perform well, even though he hasn't found any major deals at attractive prices recently. Buffett released his annual letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders 10 days ago. He wrote that investors should continue betting on the American economy, Because Berkshires prosper by doing so, but that they shouldn't forget about the rest of the world. Quote, there are also many other countries around the world that have bright futures. About that, we should rejoice. Americans will be both more prosperous and safer if all nations thrive, Buffett wrote. At Berkshire, we hope to invest significant sums across borders. Buffett's letters always well-read in the business world because of his remarkable track record, his habit of dissecting the economy or other topics, and his talent for explaining complicated subjects in plain language. But in recent years, he simplified his letters and focused mostly on Berkshire's businesses. The sage advice and wit that used to make Buffett's letters must-read publications is now reserved mostly for the company's annual meeting and interviews. To me, it's becoming less of an event, Edward Jones analyst Jim Shanahan said of the letter. you got a few things, though, OG, that you noted from the letter. I think it's really important for investors to go back. You can just go
3: to the Berkshire Hathaway corporate website, which is about the most simply designed website in the history of mankind, and download all of these and I, and I just think they're great like little little snippets of history to read and review. And I agree they have gotten a little bit shorter and, you know, a little bit more focused on
0: business? on their own
3: business yeah. and less less kind of preachy stuff, but there's still some good things. He was talking about debt. You know, we use debt sparingly. Many managers uh, would disagree with that, you know, because debt has the opportunity to exponentially increase the, uh, the returns. And we've talked about that a little bit here as well, that leverage works really good until it stops working. Well, Buffett has a much better way of saying that than I do. Uh, he says, at rare and unpredictable intervals, credit vanishes and debt becomes financially fatal. A Russian roulette equation usually win, occasionally die may make financial sense for someone who grabs a piece of the company's upside, but doesn't share in its downside. And I think it's really interesting from a personal investment standpoint. You know, obviously the leverage most of the time wins, you know, most of the time you'll be better off by putting 5% down on your house instead of 15 or 20 or buy an apartment building and putting 20% down instead of 30 or 40 or you know, constantly taking equity out of your home or your, your properties, or you could even say, well, I could build my company, build my business. I mean, heck even 0% credit cards or something like that. You know, that's, that's fiscally sound. I'm getting money at 0%. And it usually works until it violently doesn't, (laughs) you know, he says that uh, strategy would be madness for us. Rational people don't risk what they have and need for what they don't have and don't need. So I thought that was a kind of a cool part.
0: I like that part, too, this idea of uh, paying down debt, just sticking to the
3: basics. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we were talking offline a couple of weeks ago about Profit First, a book that we had both read and were applying a little bit to our business here, Sacking Benjamins and some other things. It's kind of interesting because he was talking about that uh, kind of concept as well. He says our level of equity capital is a different story. Our $349 billion is unmatched. And he's talking about all of his retained earnings. By retaining all earnings for a very long time and allowing compound interest to work its magic, we've amassed funds that enable us to purchase and develop valuable groves. He's talking about, you know, tree farming, basically. It's as an analogy. And he says, had we instead followed a 100% payout policy, we'd still be working with the 22 million we started with in 1965, which is also really interesting when you look at it from the perspective of a personal investor or a family investing or a business even if you take all of your profits all of the time, you're never going to allow that stuff to compound. I couldn't find in the letter where he actually talked about how the income that he is receiving from his investments in some companies now exceed the cost of the original investment. Wow. You know, like the return and the dividend is is more than what he originally paid for the company to begin with. So I just think it's just another good lesson for, for individual investors and families to say, we can't always just take everything there is. We have to kind of store some away. And the more that you store away, the faster that that grows as well. And then pretty soon your money makes enough money that you don't have to make money anymore. Trademark OG.
0: Well, and it's funny you say that because we we think about reinvesting dividends. But that's not even – reinvesting dividends isn't just true for stocks. I mean, you look at how successful people are are doing that in stocks. But heck, reinvesting dividends in your life, like I've been reading a little bit about the one thing, about focusing mm-hmm. on one thing, because then you get compounding interest on your stuff that you focused on. So instead of focusing on five different things and you get a 101 level on all those things, focus on one thing and then your interest on that time that you spend – compounds and yeah. compounds as you get to learn get knowledge better and better yeah knowledge on top of knowledge on top of knowledge it's kind of the same thing and pretty soon the amount of time you're spending is very little for great results in whatever the area that is of your life because you focused good stuff here we'll link to this on our show notes page at Stacky benjamins and of course uh 88 years old og no talk of retirement talking about how his <laughs> potential successors are doing very well in their quote training but um yeah no talk of retirement
3: Not yet. Well, he said he was the younger one of the group because I think Munger is 95 or something, he said. Crazy.
0: Well, on our second headline, the IRS says tax refunds are down 8.7% this year. That means bigger chance than ever, guys, that you might owe money on your taxes. And here to help us wade through this year's uh, tax, I don't know if we call it a debacle or what, on my dad's shortwave, it's uh, Mike Savage, the CEO of 1-800-Accountant. Glad you're with us, Mike. Thank you.
2: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, tell us what's going on. Why are so few people compared to last year expecting refunds?
2: Yeah, I would definitely not call it a debacle at this point, because I think it's very important to point out that the vast majority, 80% plus, probably around 90%, are actually paying less taxes than they did in 2017 for 2018. And the reason why the refunds are less is simple. The IRS is not withholding as much. When the new tax law came into effect, it changed the withholding tables. So employers were required to withhold less. And so typically an employer will withhold taxes from their employee's paycheck and submit those taxes on the employee's behalf of the IRS. And at the end of the year, if the employer... Submitted more than what the employee owes, and when the employee files their taxes, they get that difference back, the refund. It's not necessarily how much the government owes you. It's how much you overpaid the government. Gotcha. So when people get big tax refunds, essentially what they're doing is they're giving the government up to a 12-month free zero-interest
0: loan. A bad thing. <laughs> That's a good deal for somebody, but not for you. When right. you look at this, I want to talk about two different types of people. Then if I'm somebody, Mike, that already filed my taxes and I either had to pay this year and I haven't had to pay in the past, or I'm somebody that has a smaller refund and for who knows what reason I want to make sure I get that refund, what do I do to change that for next year?
2: Well, you could change the amount that you withhold by changing the amount of dependency claim. On your W-4 with your employer, and if you're employed individual, then you could obviously increase your estimated quarterly taxes that you pay that you're supposed to pay, you know, every quarter.
0: That's actually it's funny because I've met a lot of people, and I'm sure you have too, that don't realize that that when you fill out that withholding form, the number of dependents that you list that you're claiming on that form, correct me if I'm wrong, does not have to be the same number of dependents you actually have.
2: That's right. You could elect to hold more, have more taxes withheld, but you're not really supposed to have less taxes (laughs) withheld than than you're supposed to.
0: Where do I get into trouble, by the way? I mean, some people might hear you loud and clear that I don't want to have a refund and they're happier than keeping the money themselves and owing. But it's also my understanding that there's a point where you're under withholding and then you have to pay a penalty. Is that true?
2: There are penalties that you have to pay if you underpaid. So if you didn't pay enough on those estimated taxes, or if you didn't pay estimated taxes, there are penalties for underpayment. However, it's hard to trigger that because there's this, um, a safe harbor law that states essentially you, you only have to pay as much taxes essentially as you did the prior year.
0: Got you. Let's talk about the people that haven't filed yet. It sounds like what you're saying is this year, especially with all the changes, Mike, you should file as soon as possible?
2: Yes. File as soon as possible because even if you file an extension, and you avoid a penalty of not paying on time, which for most people is April 15th, you still will have pay interest on the amount of taxes that you should have paid as of April 15th. So people should file immediately to avoid, you know, especially if people have never had to owe before, so they think that they can just put their return on extensions as they've done in previous years. But if they owe money, they're also going to owe some interest on the money that they should have paid.
0: Yeah, ouch. I want to transition to what you guys really do, what's in your wheelhouse at 1-800-ACCOUNTANT, and that's working with a lot of small businesses. In the new tax change for our small business owners listening, Mike, are there any potential gotchas or surprises that you're finding a lot of people that are filing that have a small business might be missing?
2: Well, there are some changes. There are a lot of deductions that were previously were okay, like entertainment, for example, that no longer is allowed. There are a lot of deductions that went away. And I think a lot of people who file, you know, not just small businesses, but who, who have typically itemized, have had itemized deductions in the past, we'll see that some of them aren't, aren't there anymore. But the tax brackets went down. So overall, people should not be owing more money in taxes than they did the previous year unless, and this is a big one, unless they're a resident of high-tax states. That's where we're seeing people having to owe a lot you know, in comparison to what than what they've had to owe in the past
0: if people want more help, obviously you guys are available to do that. How do they reach people at your company?
2: the benefit of our name of our business and our company it's a phone number. Right. So you can call <laughs> the 800 account Or obviously go, go online to one hundred account dot com and and ask any question that uh you know we're we're, we're here available to the public to ask any business questions or any tax questions.
0: Yeah. Thanks a ton for helping us with this. Mike Savage from 1-800-Accountant. Thanks again, man. My pleasure. Thanks a ton to Mike Savage for calling in. I think uh, our lessons today, number one, get your taxes done a little early this year because things are going to maybe come out a little differently because of withholding. And if you end up owing, I think uh, I like what Mike says about going and changing your withholding possibly to make sure that you don't under withhold, but then uh, second read the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter. Always a good time. So excited to have your letters here and we are going to Plow through as many of these as we possibly can. Are we going to just
3: bring it just one right after another? Are we going to say that we're going to do a whole bunch and then do like three like we normally do because we (laughs) spend too
0: much time talking? Probably the latter. But let's see what happens here. Uh, First letter comes to us from Nicholas. Nicholas says, I've recently graduated. Nice job, Nicholas, and started working full time about a year and a half ago. I've recently received my CPA license and have found myself in a situation I consider lucky. I've saved approximately $55,000 in a long-term savings account of a self-managed stock portfolio with a fair value of $2,800. You can tell
3: he's a CPA, a fair value. (laughs) That
0: that totally <laughs> my
3: my generally accepted accounting principle suggests that I should write off the deferred taxation with this, but uh, but alas, I'll let it stand. That's for fantastic. purposes of.
0: I wanted to know if you'd have any advice on how a 24 year old should invest the $55,000 in cash. I'm debt free to have thought about investing in real estate. I currently live in Philadelphia, and the housing prices for a decent neighborhood are $300,000 or greater. Taking on debt to buy a house makes me a little nervous. What would be your advice on how to use the money? I appreciate the time taken to read my question. Love your podcast. Hey, thanks, Nicholas. What do you think investing that $55,000?
3: I wouldn't do it. I I like the idea of the fact that he's 24 and he has a 100% fully funded cash reserve that is probably more cash than, than he'll ever need in his entire life for a cash reserve. So maybe some of it. Maybe instead of having fifty-five thousand, maybe you decide that your cash should be thirty thousand. But I really don't like the idea of dropping that down much below that twenty-five or thirty. Make sure that's in a good old-fashioned high-interest savings account. Feel like invest in the rest. Maybe max out Roth IRAs last year and this year. That could be a good place. Make sure you got enough money set aside for EA to say if you can do that.
0: I think that's especially true making the cash reserve bigger if you're going to invest in real estate. If you're investing, Nicholas, in physical property, there are things that go wrong and those are often not little ticket items. In fact, our friend uh, Paula, who joins us every Friday from Afford Anything, Paula invests in a lot of real estate and she not only has a cash reserve for herself, but she leaves a cash reserve in place for each one of her properties so that she always has the money to repair things if something goes wrong.
3: Yep, because those things are not going to be really... St- I mean, how much does it cost to fix a roof or a fence or something like that? That stuff gets pretty expensive in a hurry. But I again, I just kind of go back to the fact that at the end of the day, you've checked the box on one of the entry level, but yet hardest things for people to wrap their heads around, which is how do I just let money sit in a savings account and not actually, quote, do something with it? You're done with that. Now you can take all of the monthly savings that you've been doing over the last eighteen months to get to that fifty five thousand and you can invest that every single month into your you know investment account or retirement plan or real estate empire fund whatever you want to do but you 've got that safety and security net completely done
0: if you invest in real estate there 's a couple pieces of advice that i 'll give you before we tell you some of our favorite resources for real estate specific advice, but the first piece of advice is this: he talks about. The housing prices for a decent neighborhood are $300,000 or greater, especially when you first start out real estate. Realize the market is always more liquid toward the bottom. So being able to have some liquidity is easier at a smaller number. Plus, you start getting to more expensive properties. People that can afford more expensive properties become a lot more discerning. And there may be things that you have to do to that house to get it ready for the market that you might not have to do on a lower price property. So just in terms of liquidity with your first one, I like a house that is uh, as inexpensive as you can find and still buy something that you think is a good deal. And we'll talk about a good deal here in a minute. But the second piece of this is that I would also do a lot of the work on that property myself. And not because you're going to be good at it, because you're not, but because if you're building a real estate empire, I think it makes a lot of sense to know when the people you ultimately hire to do this stuff for you, when you don't have time, you know how to do all these things yourself. So if you fixed a toilet before and a plumber comes in and they don't look at you then and go, oh yeah, he's got no idea and start, given you some line about things that you should do. I'm not phenomenal at anything home repair related, but I've done nearly all the things related to house maintenance just so that I know the basics when I'm talking to contractors and you're going to be talking to a lot of different people if you're a real estate person. So I would tell you to go small, do as much of the work as you possibly can yourself, make a lot of mistakes in the beginning with uh, not a lot of downside. The cool thing is you're 24 years old. You've got plenty of time if you're going to d- buy real estate your whole career to perfect what you're doing. My favorite resources now for real estate, I love the Bigger Pockets forums. I love... Our friends uh, Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner, they were on the show recently. They've both been on the show a few times. In fact, once when OG was on a trip, uh, Josh sat in and was my my co-host for a show, which was a blast. So we love the bigger pockets people. I would send you that way. Of course, our friend Paula Pant talks a ton about real estate and afford anything. I would also uh, lean heavily on on Paula's knowledge. What I like about Paula is that she talks a lot about some of the equations, easy equations that you can use to make sure that you get a good deal from your real estate purchase. And then my third favorite is a new podcast out there. And he's also been on our show, the coach Carson podcast and uh, Chad Carson, great guy down in South Carolina who has done a lot of the stuff I just Nicholas told you about doing it yourself Chad's done all that stuff. So the Coach Carson Podcast, another good resource. Perfect. Yeah, I think we got it. Next question comes to us from Bill. Bill says, hi, Joe and OG. I was hear about the market, S&P 500, returning 10% on average annually over the long run. I also hear about the rule of 72 as a general assumption of how long it'll take your money to double. When I look at S&P 500 pricing data, the price was 250 in 1928 and is now around 2500 If I chart out $250 with average return of even 9% from 1928 to 2018, I get a ridiculous value over $200,000. Also, given Rule 72, has there actually been any 36-year period where the price would have doubled four times? These assumptions seem misleading and not indicative of the reality of returns given that the same percentage decline in a market necessarily loses more actual money than the following same percentage gain. These assumptions seem misleading and not indicative of the reality returns, given that the same percentage decline in a market necessarily loses more actual money than the following same percentage gain, since losing 20% of 100 is 20%, and a 20% gain on 80 is only $16. What gives? Thanks and good luck with the new basement. Thanks for that, uh, Bill. And here's what I like about Bill's question. Anybody, OG, that does a straight line, here's what a market's going to do, bad idea. Well,
3: yes. And really, the S&P wasn't around in 1926. So pretty sure whatever data you have is not terribly accurate. The best that we can come up with is that I've got some record of the S&P somewhere being around a valuation of seven in or around the early 1940s. So I'm not sure where you're coming with the 250 thing here. But in any event, the, the question is, has there ever been a period of time where 30 years, the markets averaged 10%, I think is kind of the question, I guess. Yeah. Of course there has been. And 10% is the realistic number. It just, is what it is. And that includes dividends being reinvested as well. So, you know, that's a component of it. But I mean, I don't know how to prove this other than just, it is (laughs) lots of places that I can look. I, I mean, I wasn't around in 1926 to like, pull up the newspaper and find out what the S&P said. So I'm not sure.
0: But I want to take the inverse of his question. Rather than talk about has there been, I think the inverse of his question is, haven't there been lots of periods where the market has done not very much? And Larry Swedrow talked about this. From -hmm. from the late 60s through the 70s, you had a stock market that didn't do a ton during that period. So there have been long time periods, which is why, by the way, going with a single fund – With all of your assets in one asset class, I think is a horrible idea for the long term.
3: You know, I agree with that completely because the S&P 500, of course, represents the biggest companies in the United States, but it doesn't take into account necessarily international organizations. People will argue and say, but a lot of the company's money comes from international operations and all of that's true, but it still is excluding some of them. doesn't include smaller companies and things like that. You were talking about the 70s. And the return of the s and p I think a whole bunch of years there in a row where the market was down quite a bit in the in the seventies, if I go back nineteen seventy four let's say through nineteen forty four I've got a little chart here that's kind of fun to read. I mean we're still at ten point five percent over that thirty year time horizon, so even with that sequence, which was you know you retire on January first nineteen seventy and you go on a four-year around-the-world cruise <laughs> and you come back in December of 1974 and you say, hey, how's my money doing? And your broker looks at you like you've got three heads. That's what you're really talking about from a financial planning or investment standpoint is that is that unlucky sequence of returns. Just bad luck, right? Because you never know when you're going to experience a market decline or extended market decline. But even over, even over that 30-year period that ended in 1974 was still over a 10% return. So, and I think it's a little misleading too to look at it from a percentage standpoint and say, yeah, I went from $100 to 80 and now it just went back up 20% and now I'm at 96. But that's not what really happens. It goes down 20 and then up 100 and then down 20 again and up another 100%. You know, that's kind of the, it's like temporary declines followed by all new highs. So it would. it's true if it's always this kind of, Minus twenty, plus twenty, minus twenty, plus twenty. You'd be losing ground along the way, but that's not what happened. It goes minus twenty, plus eighty, minus
0: twenty, plus one hundred and twenty. You know, he is right though on something that some people don't realize, which is that the market goes down twenty percent. A takes, lot, but it takes a higher percentage to get to get that money back. Like percentage. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: You can't go down twenty and then plus twenty and be back to even money. Yeah, you're not sure. even money. Yeah
0: you know i think that's a big aha sometimes for people i went down 20 i went up 20 how come i'm not even cuz math yeah cuz math exactly
3: <laughs> but this is you know this is really important from a financial planning standpoint because we can't necessarily predict you know imagine that you're the guy that retires january 1st 2008 the market has been doing pretty good you invest your money in the S&P 500 you go away for a year You come back in December and you go, how's my money going? Well, you started with a million dollars. You took out your 4%. So you took out 40,000 on Jan 1. So now you got 960. All's well. You don't touch it. You don't think about it. You don't look at the news and you check on Jan 1 the next year. And now you're at 600,000 because the market's down 40%. Well, now what? So you have to think about that going into retirement. How do we account for that? Because we can't plan for it because we don't know when it's going to happen but we can account for it. And there's ways that you can think about like laddering things or having extra cash on hand or whatever the case may be to ease the concern of that. Because the biggest risk isn't the fact that it went down to 600. The biggest risk is at that moment, you take your 600,000, you park it in treasury bonds at 2% because it's quote too risky now. And then you never get back in the market or you go, I'm going to wait for it to come back before I invest. And all of the market declines from 2008, in early 2009 we were recovered by late 2010 but i can assure you that there are plenty of people in 2011, 2012, 2013 and 2014 probably that were sitting going, well, i'm still not convinced even though the market's double what it was. You know, i mean the S&P in March of 2009 was 600. It's at like 2500 now. It's been a decade and it's up four times almost. So those returns, you know, you can't plug into a calculator 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10% because that's, that's not what happens.
0: Thanks for the question, Bill. Next question comes to us from Joe. Joe says, think about waiting until 70 to claim my Social Security, but what happens if I die at 68? Would my spouse be eligible for Social Security as if I'd retired at 68 or would something else happen? He says, my full retirement age is 66. Thanks for the question, Joe. What happens? Hey, Joe. uh, So you're right. When it
3: comes to Social Security, uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. Firstly, the full retirement age, it's going to vary for everybody, but uh, pretty much most people nowadays are closing in on 66 as their full retirement age. 67 is down the line for some folks as well. If you pass away after your full retirement age, but before you've claimed benefits, then your spouse will get your benefit equal to what you would have were entitled to receive at that time if you had not yet claimed benefits. Now, if your spouse has greater social security benefits than you, then she doesn't get yours or your spouse it's it's the greater of the two. You know, so if you've got two people in a in a relationship that they both worked and their social securities are very even or one person is slightly higher or whatever the case may be, the surviving spouse will get the greater of the two. You don't get both or any other sort of combination. So if yours is the greater of the two, then your wife would get yours. If hers is the greater of the two, she just keeps hers and yours goes away. And so that kind of is one of those $20 million questions of if I delay social security and I'm the lower income spouse. Yeah. And then I get hit by a bus. Then what happens? Nothing.
0: What if he got murdered? It's a terrible thought. (laughs) It's It's a terrible thought. But you have these things that you listen to on podcasts about people getting murdered and that can be horrible for Joe, but it could be riveting radio. Thanks to murder book, the new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author, Michael Connolly for supporting stacking Benjamins murder book podcast is all about returning to his roots as a journalist where bestselling author Michael Connolly now presents the true crime podcast murder book, working with those same very detectives who inform his novels and his hit television show, Bosch. The podcast explores real homicide cases, not covered by mainstream media murder book. Season one is the telltale bullet. It dives into a 30 year old Hollywood carjacking gone wrong. That tests the limits of the American criminal justice system, dark sacred night, is the new book from Michael Connolly. It's his latest number one bestseller, featuring, again, detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. You can find Dark Sacred Night wherever books are sold. I'm about halfway through Dark Sacred Night. Once I finally pried it out of Cheryl's hands, actually, she finished it and and let me finally start reading it. I read very slowly, and I am whipping through this book just because I can't put it down. It's so good. Check out Michael Connolly's new murder book podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, or at murderbookpodcast.com. That's murderbookpodcast.com. All right, man, I think it's time for you and I to go refill our drink. Let's hear what Doug's got for us today in the trivia department.
1: Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've become the social media god of this podcast. I'm seriously good at it, like everything. But people online are saying I shouldn't use all caps when tweeting. I'm just trying to make a statement, people. Hold on. This all caps business is fake news. I have amazing tweets. Much better. Here's something else better my trivia. It turns out that on my incredibly obscure holiday calendar, today is Dentist Day. So here's a question. What do tree branches, boar hairs, and nylon all have in common? I'll be back with your answer right after this.
0: Well, you know, a lot of times OG and I talk about the fact that this is not a expense problem, that life is about not making enough income. You can't shrink your way to greatness. Sometimes you have to make more money. So whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. By the way, thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Stacky Benjamins. Worried about your property? Airbnb offers a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. It's free to list your home and you're the boss. When you host on Airbnb host, when you want host, how you want list one bedroom or the entire place. It's all entirely up to you. So whether you're looking to make extra money so you can use to pay down your debt, fund your next travel. So that's not a big budget expense for you or save up for retirement. So you get that, financial independence earlier than you thought that you would. Airbnb is a great way to do that. Make money while you travel, which is something Airbnb hosts often do. What am I talking about? I'm talking about you're going away for a week. Why not have somebody paying the bills at home while you're on the road? Connect with people from around the world. Make new friends. Meet new people. Show off your community or the city that you're in and share local pride. Here's the big thing that I like about hosting on Airbnb. It's another one of those incredible, simple things that you can do to bring in the cash to pay down your debt. And people say to me, Joe, I don't know what I'm going to do to make more money. Airbnb is a pretty simple way to make extra money. Seriously stack a bunch more Benjamins with Airbnb. I think that might be a thing there. Stack more Benjamins with Airbnb. O.G. Oh, I like that. So for our, Stacky Benjamin stackers. Head to airbnb.com forward slash SB to start hosting. And you're going to also receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Now, here's the thing. You think $500 by May 30th, but I want to I I dip my toe in. The best way to get good at something, the best way to learn a new habit, go back to our James Clear episode where he talks about atomic habits. The best way to get a new habit is to dive in. So if you're gonna do it, set yourself a goal of going over that $500 booking value, not just for the $100 Amazon gift card, but by the time you get to $500 in book booking value, you know what's gonna happen. Well, you know, you're shaking your head, OG. So I'm not even I'm not even asking you. You're going to figure out your own system around Airbnb and how it works best for you. Head to airbnb.com/sb and start hosting stack more benjamins with airbnb i think that's a keeper
1: welcome back you financial gurus i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug now let's get back to your trivia i just snapchatted a picture of my bologna sandwich i'll have a million followers by noon tomorrow based on that alone well so we're not just waiting around for that to happen let's get you some trivia here's the question one more time as far as dentists are concerned what do tree branches boar hairs and nylon all have in common well here's what people have been concerned about their dental hygiene since egyptian times ancient tombs contained small tree branches with ends frayed into soft fibers and in the 15th century the chinese made toothbrushes from the neck hairs of a siberian wild boar oh that's Badass, I gotta have me one of those. And the present-day nylon toothbrush was invented in 1937. Today's trivia was king of all trivia right now as you're listening to it. Tweet that to your friends. See ya!
0: Hey OG, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first And as you know, we have, uh, asked some of our friends on our Facebook page, you want to hang out with us on our Facebook page, head to facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins. What the two things are that they value most? Our friend Daryl, we met Daryl in uh, Philadelphia. Philly. Yes. Daryl said toddler naps and adult time are the two things that he values most.
3: That's true. Sometimes those things happen at the same time.
0: It's totally like a one-two punch. It actually is your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Love what they're doing at Haven Life because their application simple and online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. Lovely customer support and policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutuals, more than 160 year old insurer. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to Luke. Say hi, Luke. Hey, Joe and OG. Big fan of personal finance and podcasts. Still waiting to learn something on this show though. Anyway, I'm going to get my master's this fall and I was lucky enough to have tuition paid for plus a stipend of about fourteen hundred a month. I was wondering if I should try and max out my Roth IRA before school starts or just save that six grand since I'm gonna be pretty broke during the process. I have a four-month emergency fund and can save about twelve hundred a month. Oh, and I'm a size medium for that t-shirt which is 100% the reason why I'm doing this. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so bad. So, He's a medium. The good news is is that uh, Luke Gertrude is going to send you a, uh, a code, and you then don't have to announce what size you are, which is great. You can get whatever size you want. But congratulations on the medium. Good for you. Mm-hmm.
3: I remember those days. I was in seventh grade, <laughs> and I grew up to be an adult.
0: Before you got the protective coding. That covers your rock hard abs.
3: Just keeps everything nice and warm Yeah, year-round.
0: So this is interesting, OG. He's got a decent Mm -hmm. cash reserve in place. What do you think?
3: I guess I think about this from two perspectives. Firstly, if you're not going to need the money, then it's a no-brainer. Because the problem with Roth IRAs is that they're not cumulative. So if you could just say, well, I'll forego this year and next year put in 12000 That's an easier question because I would just say, wait, that way, you know, you know that you don't need the money or you do. But the problem is they're not cumulative. So once this tax year is gone, you're done with it. You You can't can't, get it back. You can't, you can't go back because of that reason. And even though it's going to be a really tight shoestring budget, I like the idea of putting it in the Roth just to get it in there. And, you know, if worse comes to worse and a year and a half into grad school, you're like totally need to take this six grand back out again because, you know, you don't want to go into debt for school if you don't have to. So, you know, you've got this money, you've burned through your cash reserve, all of your other things. And you're like, to hell with it. I guess I got to take my, my contribution out from two years ago. So be it. But if you manage to get through, then you'll be that much further ahead. The other side of the Roth idea is that, if you're going to grad school, you're trying to get a better job, which means you're trying to get more income, which means you may price yourself out of a Roth sooner than later anyway. And once you do that, then then you'll look back on your 23-year-old days or whatever, however old you might be, and go, well, darn, I wish I would have put that six grand in there. I would have figured out how to live on less than you know, $500 a month or something like that. So because of all those reasons, I'd say put the money in, max it out before you go to grad school, see if you can make it. And just kind of maybe in the back of your mind, break glass of in case of emergency type of stuff. It could be there if you really absolutely need it.
0: Yeah, I wish I had something to add. But I think, Luke, there it is. OG mic drop. There you go. All right. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the Haven Lifeline, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, you too can not only... Get your question answered sooner, but also uh taking home the greatest money show on earth, swag. Back to though the written questions and the mailbag. Let's see if we can do a couple more of these before we gotta say goodbye. Looks like we got time maybe for one more. Todd says I own a business and I'm ready to take a chunk of cash from retained earnings in the amount of $10,000. I have no debt, a sizable emergency fund for business and personal and max out a 401k and Roth IRA for both my wife and I each year. I'm not eligible to put money into an HSA. I currently have a taxable account with $1,000 in exchange-traded funds and $250 in a few stocks. How should I invest the $10,000? How should my taxable account look with relationship to exchange traded funds compared to stocks, and further, how to break up my stocks—large, small, foreign? I know little about trading stocks. Any advice is appreciated. Thanks, Todd. I think we can start with that last sentence.
3: I'd say Todd and I are both really quite the same. I know very little <laughs> about trading stocks too, so
0: I know extremely
3: little. I'm happy to uh, put on my uh, put on my uh, glasses and walk around with my cane. We can be the. Th- three blind investing mice together. We'll just throw darts at a dartboard and see what happens. Congratulations on building such a fantastic business. And like we talked about earlier, this episode having retained earnings super powerful, especially in a, you know, a regular company, an LLC or an S corp. Cause you know what? That money comes out tax free. Cause you already pay taxes on it. Maybe last year, maybe five years ago, maybe 15 years ago, but it's just hanging out there doing its thing. So this is super fantastic. Uh, what should your what should your brokerage account look like? I don't know. kind of depends on what your goals are. You know, if you've got long-term retirement goals, long-term uh, financial planning goals, well, then it should be invested in stocks. If you are saying, hey, I'm going to take this money out because my kid needs to pay tuition next Thursday, well, then it's going to be really conservative. It's going to be sitting in cash or or treasuries. And probably somewhere in the middle is the right answer to that. I err on the side of equity exposure. I just can't. Imagine having money in fixed income for lots and lots and lots of reasons. But if this is purely money taking out of your company to invest for the long term, excellent. This would be an uh, you know equity investments, ETFs, mutual funds, whatever floats your boat, what the re- correct allocation of large versus small versus international. I don't know the answer to that. It's going to be pretty unique to everybody individually. And I think it also would depend a little bit on how your money is invested outside of that. You mentioned you got 401ks and Roths and that sort of thing. That'll kind of play into it to some degree as well. But um, uh, so that'll be kind of personal. You'll just kind of have to uh, have to pick your poison there. Can't go wrong with the blanket ETFs. Russell 2000 fund. Small cap is one of those. International emerging market. I mean, hard to kind of say what exactly it should be without having some more info.
0: I love this idea of starting with a goal and working backwards. Just,
3: Exponential tech ETF, you know,
0: two times S and P bear the
3: two X. If you're yeah, if you don't think the market's going to go up, you could go three
0: X bear pro shares. Don't don't do any of this, Todd.
3: Just kidding. Please, just don't. kidding. How about uh, you could do some four X? You know, buy some euros and put it against the pound. I don't know. No, don't do any of that either. Don't do that. Here's the thing: when it comes to investing, and I was just having a conversation with a client. I wasn't having a conversation. He emailed me a prospectus and said, "What do you think?" And of, I'm summarizing, but my answer was no, because the idea of of these things it just sounds so seductive, you know. Well, they're promising 22% growth year after year, and the crazier that we get, whether it's from an investing standpoint or whatever the case, be a debt standpoint, whatever the more likely it is that we're going to get separated from our money. And boring wins. You know, we just talked about Warren Buffett's letter. Look at the companies that he owns with the vast majority of his portfolio. Geico. Yawn. It's an insurance company. They do really good. They make a lot of money. But it's a freaking car insurance company. Coca-Cola. American Express. Citibank. Bank of America. Wells Fargo. You know. Boring. Plane companies. Home Depot. Just companies that just hang out and do their thing. You don't see a lot of notes from Warren Buffett of, well, we took a flyer on Elon Musk's space company and we think that we're going to help, you know. I mean, and he would say, maybe that stuff does turn out, but that's just not for us. And we can make just as much money as we need by being super boring. So just be boring. Go buy an ETF or an index fund and call it a day. What say you? Mr. Salcihi,
0: I think he uh, lights a candle, gets a bunch of Jello. Is this pre-made Jello or the package stuff that you got to boil in water? Well, this is a part of his life where he doesn't get boring, so he can afford to get boring elsewhere, right? I just always like the idea of starting with your goal and working backward because you make fewer mistakes. I mean, the whole game here is about making right. fewer mistakes. Mm-hmm and uh, not blowing yourself up. And, and I think that so many, people, so many people do that. I've just seen too many times, too many people just take risk when they, when they don't need to. The thing, Todd, that bothers me most about your letter, at the end you say, I don't know much about trading stocks. So the good news is you only have $250 in stocks. I don't mind you being a stock trader. I do mind you not knowing wh- what you're doing. So look to a guy like maybe a Phil Town.
3: I was going to say Phil Towns book. Yep.
0: Yeah. Look to somebody like Phil Town if you want to go that route or, um, or stay away from them. But, uh, but exchange traded funds or index mutual funds are such a, a more reliable uh, way to go until you know what you're doing. Now, we could have Phil sit here with us, OG, you know, and he'll say, I wouldn't buy an ETF in a million years. because that's right. Because once you know what you're doing with individual stocks, and I'd say that's great for Phil Town. That's mm-hmm. fantastic for Philtown and people that he's trained in his systems. But if you're just gonna buy the stuff that the person next to you likes or watch Kramer on CNBC and pick a few of the things he talks about, mm. so dangerous. Bye, bye, bye. It's so great. Such we it, should do that. It is such entertaining TV. Just a rapid, a rapid should I buy the stock anyway. And we just go, no, 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 <laughs> no. So, sell, so sell, sell. <laughs> Over and over. But great question, Todd. And uh, congratulations on the retained earnings. I think that's going to do it for today. Looking at the clock, OG, I think we're about out of time. Not one more. All right, fine. Thanks to uh, Mike Savage for stopping by. Well, I'll let Doug take care of all that. Last thing is that if you're somebody looking for good financial planning help in your corner, OG and his firm are taking clients. Head to com forward slash OG so that you can get started on the right path with your financial plan. That's going to do it for today. Doug, man, take it from here.
1: What should we have learned? Well, Joe, here's what they should have learned today. Take a lesson from Mike Savage at 1 800 Accountant and file your taxes early. You'll know much better whether you owe, and lots of you will, after you've filed your taxes. Second, saving into the financial markets, remember that a plan is your friend. Once you work backward from the time you need to use the money, it's much easier then to decide which investments clearly don't meet your goal. That way, you don't have to study every investment available, only the few that fit your time horizon. But the big lesson? Don't post your amazing photo of the morning sunset to social media. People apparently don't understand beauty in nature. I do we have to be so much smarter than all the other people online. Like all the other people online. Thanks to Mike Savage from 1-800-ACCOUNTANT for joining us. You'll find help from his accountants, as he said, at the phone number in his company name. It's right there in the name. 1-800-ACCOUNTANT. Accountant. Wait a minute. Hey, Joe, I think there's more letters in accountant than there are in the... Yeah, 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 you're right. They'll figure it out. They're pretty smart. Okay. And thanks to you for your questions. Haven't heard yours yet? Well, we'll have another Letters episode shortly. But don't forget, we also answer at least two every Monday and Wednesday and one every Friday. So we'll get to you. Relax. This show was created by Joe Salcihi, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at @sbenjaminscast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what we've been watching on TV. We've talked a lot about movies lately. We haven't mm-hmm. talked about okay. television much. A little telly on the boob tube. I just finished season four of The Last Kingdom. Excuse me. Season three. Season four. They just <laughs> Everybody's like, wait, what? How did what? you get huh? season four? Like, See, I know a guy. Season three. And this series, and I agree with some of the reviews I read afterwards. I went and read some. I'm like, do I just love this? Or does everybody love this? Turns out everybody loves this.
3: This is the one with uh, this the is Uhtred thing that you say. This
0: is Uhtred, son of Utrid. and it's in yeah. uh, it's it's eight hundred and seventy, I think. Um, and the Vikings are in in England, mm-hmm. and uh, it's fun. You go back and you you read the history. Of course, the history is kind of scrambled. So a lot of these characters did not actually live at the same time, but to make it fun, they put them in the same place, but these were real people. And Mm. you learn so much about this, this period in history, just went to a hockey game with my brother-in-law and he and I sat and we talked about the, the series about just how much you learn without even, without even trying to learn about that, that period in time. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. Netflix. And they just announced they're going to do season four. And somebody said something neat. I read all of the, I've read, of course, they haven't all come out yet, but I've read every one of the Game of Thrones books. I haven't <laughs> watched the series, but people reviewing this have said, you know, if you're jonesing for more Game of Thrones, Last Kingdom is is the place to go. So I don't know. I like the Game of Thrones books. I like the Last Kingdom. That's been a big win for me.
3: Very cool. I'm excited about uh, Billions is coming out for their next season uh, in a couple weeks. But the problem is, is that uh, it's on Showtime, so they release it once a week. So you can't just get through you can't you just. Gotta, you got to go all the way through May. So it's usually better to kind of let it build up a few episodes so you can binge a little bit. I'll watch the first one, then I'll probably skip a couple weeks. I actually have gone through a number of old series on Hulu. So I'm watching Boston Legal right now.
0: That was on- so
3: good on Hulu, Back yeah in the it's day. such a great it's such I mean it's
0: how old is that series uh
3: two thousand and four I think is when they started because they're referencing uh the the red sox uh, uh championship, which is about two thousand and four but uh just the dialogue in that I think is is very well written
0: when does that you and I at the end of last year we talked about a Ben Affleck thing that was coming to Netflix or somewhere when does that come out
3: Ben Affleck, oh, we did talk about this um. Yeah, all it was, of, a, it was a movie. It was like direct to Netflix, but it was like a bank robbery movie. Or, yeah,
0: all these ex uh, seals and stuff. By the way, did you see that just happen in, in Haiti in real life?
3: No.
2: Two, cars,
0: two cars, two okay. cars, with a bunch of ex elite military dudes inside of them, get mm-hmm. stopped at some checkpoint, and they said uh, we're on official we're on official business, and they ended up getting thrown in jail. And they said, No, 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 our boss is going to call your boss. And they said, uh so so then the the president of Haiti called in and for some reason at the time still couldn't get them out of jail. But uh but but I was thinking that's what made me remember I'm like there wasn't seen that.
3: Yeah, no. Yeah, I forgot all about that uh, direct to it looks uh, Net- so like, good.
0: You know, it's gotta be coming soon. Oh, it
3: was about a uh a couple of guys who decided to like rob a drug dealer or rob a drug right?
0: lord yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah yeah.
3: okay yeah it's got to be this fun. is but that's a, gonna be a movie
0: this is another one coming direct to netflix that i'm excited to uh to see let's play the trailer this is, is have, have you seen this woody harrelson and kevin costner this is the <laughs> highwayman never heard of either of those people no
3: how many
2: bullets you got in 16 i think might be good to have a doctor look at you sometime might be good to have a doctor look at you sometime
1: i ain't got no bulletin because <laughs> i was covering you
3: that sounds like josh brolin you may
1: have heard there was a prison break it was monty and Klein. <laughs> governor this has to end
3: They've committed dozens of armed robberies and several cold-blooded murders. What do you plan to do
2: about Bonnie and Clyde? We will capture them. Write that down and underline it twice. There's only one man who can take them down.
0: So the, the one man who could take down Bonnie and Clyde is played by Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson is his right-hand man. And that woman there that said, we'll capture them, that's Kathy Bates. <laughs> this looks great. Didn't, was that Josh Brolin in there, too? No, no. When you oh, said okay. that sounded like Josh Brolin, th- that was Kevin Costner talking. Costner, okay. Yeah. yeah, just that gravelly voice. But, man, that looks good. When does this come out? This is uh, March 29th, The ben, Hi- the Highwaymen. Yeah, that just that sounds great, too. Can't wait. Man, there's just so much good TV.
3: Well, and basketball's about to start, so yeah. once we get into basketball tournaments, you know where to find me
0: Thursday through Sunday. There it goes, me, too. Uh, we originally, by the way, on that note, said uh, we were going to meet people for that first Friday in Detroit, four to mm-hmm. seven. And you texted me immediately and go, well, "What the hell's this about? We're not. <laughs> what are we do- doing from eleven till four?
3: <laughs> Basketball starts. What are we at doing 11, from man?
0: seven to midnight?
3: Well, there's that too, but yeah. but definitely from seven till midnight, I think people let off the gas. But hey, you know you're going to blow off work in Detroit, man. Just come on down.
0: Yeah, we'll have more well, about that on the Stacker newsletter and on the Facebook mm-hmm. page. Yeah, good stuff.